This podcast is part of the A3K Network. For more information, visit www.anime3000.com. I'm your host here, Josh Dunham. Long week, and I even forgot about podcasting. That's why this episode's gone out a little late. But, you know, I hope you forgive me. I'm still working on it. You know, it's that type of week. Things just didn't quite turn out right. Got a lot of stuff done, but some things had to suffer for other things to you know, move forward. That, that sort of thing. But I have exciting news in terms of, well, news, because last week was dead. This week is packed. I had to actually select what I want to report and that sort of thing. So, of course, if you like, well, why didn't he say this or blah, 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 go to ANN. They reported everything. They report all the anime news you could possibly need. So, yeah, thank you, ANN, for giving us these awesome, awesome news articles. But I was referring to Anime 3000. Anime 3000, we have quite a few videos going up. We have the addition of some new podcasts, including my own. Uh, the Shaft Extras have been up on the site. We have the Manga Stack, and we have Anime Shelf, both of which are very, very well done by the Shaft team. We also have CJ Hitchcock's new series, The Season's Impression, so definitely go check that out. And, by the way, his Fits of the North Star review will be up sometime soon. The only problem is, I just got a new episode from Kuso. Well, with Kuso... I had to post episode 4 because it's episode 5, so you know you gotta keep it in chronological order here. So episode 4 is up on the site, and some fanboys started to attack that, so I tried to step in and be like, guys, you don't need to be assholes. Just because you don't like what someone said in a review doesn't mean you need to jump down their throat. That'd be like saying, well, Roger Ebert didn't like this movie, this, he's an idiot. No, you just have conflicting opinions. Just saying, you know what I mean? Doesn't mean someone did a bad job. Blah, 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 blah. Just, you didn't like the review, you didn't like the opinion, so stop bitching about it. Wait again next time for something. Ugh. That's what gets me about anime fans is like, if I like this show, then thus everyone else must like this show, or else they're a retard, blah, 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 you know. And I was that way for a very long time as well. But the thing is, once you kind of get older, you realize that people are allowed to have their own opinions, and you can't do anything about it, so you kind of just roll with it. But yeah, so I've got new Fist of the North Star review from AMR. I've got a new review of Oran High from Kuso that are going up sometime soon. As for my videos, I am working on it, but the problem is I have enough troubles doing the podcast and trying to manage everything else. Um, I was doing some work on a Juario video, that kind of... I didn't meet his deadline, so I was like, oh, damn it! <sighs> That's what you get for having to work in the middle of the day. But other than that, that's pretty much for... Anime 3000, I mean, we're pumping new content right now, as of this recording. The site has brandy new articles on there that will keep you busy for at least an hour. At least an hour of entertainment right there. No commercial. Well, I can't say no commercials because Blip TV doesn't let you skip the goddamn commercials. But, but, it's almost relatively commercial free. So, with that in mind, let's go into the regular news. Crunchyroll Vice President announced the top fall 2010 simulcasts in order of popularity. Number 10 was Tensai Opera, Milky Homes. Number 9, Tagami Bachi Reverse. 
Number eight, panty and stocking with garter belt. Number seven, Yume Iro Pasitire SP Professional. Number six, Squid Girl. Number five, Fortune Arterial. Number four was Super Robot Tyson OG the Inspector. Number three, Soro no Otoshimono Forte. And number two was Otome Yokai Zankuro. And number one, the world God only knows. But the vice president went on and spoke a little bit about Super Robot Wars OG the Inspector and said, quote, Maybe the surprise hit of the season, as Crunchyroll owns a worldwide license for the series. The baseline level of hits for this season is comparable to the top levels in previous seasons. So congratulations, Super Robot Wars. Congratulations, I myself didn't care too much for it. It wasn't enough action, wasn't pretty enough, that sort of thing. But it's glad to know that it's still doing well. And that it's got a worldwide license. North Star Pictures, Comix, and Tokuma Shoten will launch monthly comic Zenon, a manga magazine, with the creators from the late Weekly Comic Bunch on October 25th. Fist of the North Star artist Tetsuo Hara will launch his first new series in over 10 years, and City Hunter creator Tsukasa Hojo will revive both Cat's Eye and Angel Heart. A list of all other series that will be in the magazine has been posted on ANN. Volume 18 of Yosensha's Otona anime revealed AIC is currently producing new original anime shorts. According to an interview with AIC president Tohu Mihura, AIC plans to announce the number of these shorts within the year, with the first being a robot work. That's what we need more mecha. I'm not too excited that it's AIC, but if it's a really short thing, I guess it'll either be a really short burst of awesomeness a really short burst of shit. Bandai announced at the New York Anime Festival that they will release Mobile Suit Gundam 00 the movie, Awaking of the Trailblazer, as well as the first Mobile Suit Gundam television anime series on DVD with English subtitles and Japanese soundtracks. Studio Ghibli's Karigurashi no Arati has been viewed over seven and a half million times, setting the all-time record for a Japanese film directed by a first-time director. The judging committee of the 15th Animation Kobe Awards has announced this year's award winners. The awards are among the most prestigious in the Japanese animation and media industry. The winner is... For the individual award, Mamoru Hosoda for directing the anime film Summer Wars. The special award goes to Studio Biho with anime background art. Theatrical film award goes to Disappearance of Haruhi Suzumiya. And the television award, I don't know why, but goes to K-On! Season 2 with two exclamation points. The network award goes to Miku no Nichi Kanshanshai's 38th Giving Day event. And the theme song award goes to Only My Railgun, which was the opening for a certain scientific railgun which was done by Flipside. Congratulations to all the winners. You know, I, I was really, really happy that Mamoru Hosoda got one, especially after I did the entire Mamoru Hosoda, like, oh, he's so awesome, you know, Summer War is such a good movie, and then like, boom, Kobe Award, like, yes, Josh, you were right, even the Japanese media think so. Yeah, gotta love being right. Japanese idol Shoko Nakagawa, or Shokotan, modeled an Evangelion-themed wetsuit based off the plug suit of Mari Makinami in Evangelion 2.0. Multi-Man Brawl! There are more pictures up on her blog, so if you're at work, you're bored, feel like fapping, go ahead, go there, you know, see what I mean? Yeah, get your Eva fap on. Media Blasters is launching a series of home video rental featuring primarily anime DVDs and Blu-ray disc releases. Users can rent television series and films in their original packaging for one to two dollars. If the users want to keep their rentals instead of returning it, they can then purchase the rented discs outright on Media Blaster's website. The Koi 6 feature titles quote from all US anime companies and the Koisex official website lists titles from Bandai Entertainment, Funimation, Viz Media, Sensei Filmworks, Disney, and Sony Pictures. 
The first of these Koiseks is already open in New York City at the Image Anime Store at 242 West 30th Street. The company intends to roll out another 100 Koiseks throughout the United States over the next 18 months. Well, with only 101 going to be going down in the next year and a half, I can assume that my tiny corner of the country will probably never see one. And even if we do, because, well, let's see, you know, that's almost enough for two of them per state. I'm sure Texas will get at least three or four. But if we just get one, hey, I might travel down there and rent, you know, one or two dollars. You know, it's not as cheap as pirating, but damn, this is what anime needs to be doing. This is the right move. And for people who live in New York, I want you to support this. Please go check this out and let me know how well it works. So, that's the news for this week. For a review, I have Vampire Hunter D. Sick of elitist fans? Your first anime was Dragon Ball Z? <laughs> and you call yourself an otaku. Sick of fanboys? Have you seen Haruhi? I mean, she's so stupid and Kion just kind of follows her all around all over the place and it, it's just so awesome. I love the series. Well, come on down to Super Happy Anime Fun Time, the anime podcast bringing you an objective fan's point of view to anime news, anime releases, and anime reviews. Check us out at AnimeShaft.com. What the? What in tarnation was that? I'm not sure, but if I had to guess, it sounds like CJ is gearing up for his next AMR review. And what exactly would that be? Well, considering that CJ has painted a big dipper on his chest, I guess it's Vista North Star related. You mean to tell me that he's going to be tackling the 1995 American live-action version of the film starring Gary Daniels? More than likely. So, this Gary fellow, has he been in anything else? Well, let's see. He was in a movie called Pocket Ninjas. That ring any bells? No, I can't say that it does. How about this one? Heat Seeker. There's a joke in that one, but no, I can't say that I've seen it. Okay. An American Street Fighter? You mean the one with Jean-Claude Van Damme? No, it's a different Street Fighter. Oh, so they basically got a nobody to play Kenshiro. Yep, shame. Not as big of a shame as watching CJ train for this next video. Yeah, you would've think that he would have shaved his chest before painting the Big Dipper on there. Before we make these people sick, we should tell these folks that they should visit CJ's blog, cjhitchcockanimemoverview.blogspot.com, and have a look at his previous reviews while he's gearing up for this one. Or instead of visiting cjhitchcockanimemoverview.blogspot.com, they could just check out his Twitter account for updates of his recent videos. What? <laughs> Is he okay? It looks like he got his finger caught in the tree. Dummy. Couldn't we help him? Let's wait a few minutes. So Vampire Hunter D, it's the popular novel series written by Hiroyuki Kikuchi, and doing a little research on Kikuchi, you can find a very interesting line of training, I guess you could call it. Kikuchi was trained by Kazuo Koike, who was then trained by Takao Saito, who was the original creator of Gogol 13. Now, Kikuchi was actually in a very interesting graduating class. He trained under Koike, but other graduates also include, and this may shock you a little bit, Rumiko Takahashi, Tetsuo Hara, and Kisuke Itagi, who was the creator of Baki the Grappler. Looking at the works of Kikuchi, Koike, and Saito, we can easily see that the treatment of women 
is really trickling down. So, I mean, I can't find anybody, any prominent figure who's been trained by Kikuchi, but needless to say, none of the existing line have treated women all that well. Lots of um, rape, lots of uh, little sexual encounters, we'll call them. And that does not exclude Vampire Hunter D. Vampire Hunter D is a fictional sci-fi yet has remnants of this past apocalyptic world. It's, it's, it's kind of hard to explain because D is a vampire. He's a Dampfier. Basically, he's half human, half vampire. And carries around this sword. And he has this symbiotic organism that basically we just call left hand because, well, it's a face that inhabits his left hand. At the same time, he rides on a bionic horse fights people who use guns and super scientific weapons. The vampires, called the nobility, really were prominent figures in the scientific community, and it just goes on and on and on. So it mixes this occult with this sci-fi, and does so in such a way that it's brilliantly done, and you get this mash of horror, science fiction, and downright gritty, gory storytelling. I love it. It's really, really great. But most people know Vampire Hunter D from the two movies that were released. The first one, simply titled Vampire Hunter D, and the second one, which was actually directed by Yoshiaki Kawajiri, who is also a close friend, or at least a friend in general, of our great writer, Kikuchi. In fact, Kikuchi and Kawajiri have worked on multiple titles together, Kawajiri basically adapting Wicked City, and from there he ended up securing the title of Bloodlust, which is based off the third novel in the Vampire Hunter D series. Now, I'm only going to be talking about the first three incarnations in the series. One, because I saw the two movies, and I read the second book. Now, I haven't read the books for the first and the third, but doing a little bit of research, I have seen the changes that they make. You know, they're actually not that bad. They're pretty, pretty close to the source material. The first movie is all about this girl named Doris, and she gets abducted by Count Lee, who is basically this nobility who wants to have sex with Doris, more or less, make, make her his next bride. However, Dee and Doris, in the book anyway, have a romantic relationship. Now, it's not very prominent, but yet Dee clearly has feelings for her despite being his very cool, cold demeanor self. Doris, on the other hand, is completely heads over heel, head over heels for him, and so thus would basically do anything for him. Now, Count Lee has several little minions and bodyguards who try to stop D from rescuing Doris, but in the end, D manages to defeat all of them, and in turn, kills Count Lee, and rescues everyone happily ever after, sort of, kind of. Now, I'm not going to talk about a lot, because mainly it's an old, older movie, and if you're interested, please go watch it. I will talk about a little bit how my, my thoughts on the movie, though. I don't really like this movie. And I know I'm probably going to be called a heretic for it, but I found the whole cinematography to be really, really poorly done. And what I mean by that is, it's like, let's go rescue your brother. Cut. And then the next thing they're doing, they're fighting someone who has the brother in hand. And it's like, I understand that this is a, you know, hour and a half or two hour movie or whatever. You have time restraints, you're trying to cover a whole novel which can be very difficult, for crying out loud. But the thing is, it just doesn't feel and look good in a movie. At least I didn't think so. It has that grainy texture to it, which really adds to the dark overtones. So, when you have D, D doesn't look so calm, cool, and collected in this film, as he does like in Bloodlust. Uh, but it still does a pretty good job at depicting him. I mean, I would pick a different English voice actor for him, definitely. 
you know, someone with a, a much deeper voice, not like, oh, I'm James Earl Jones, but, you know, someone who has a presence. Like, they can say the most simplest line and still have that presence in the room. But, yeah, the, the movie was okay. The plot, I don't, I didn't like the plot for the book. I didn't like the plot for the movie. So, you know, when you don't like the source material, there's only so much a movie can do to sway you in favor of it when it covers the source material pretty well. So that, you know, I'm not going to dwell on that. I'm not going to say it's complete shit because I know a lot of people like this film. And it's Vampire Hunter D and really incarnates the very original idea of Vampire Hunter D before it got so much more evolution along the way. So it's kind of a must-see sort of deal. Even if you don't like Evangelion, you kind of have to see Evangelion. You know, maybe not on that level, but definitely for anime fans who want to seriously get into watching anime, please go watch this. It's a very, very, very good history lesson for you. Now, the second novel, I can talk about this a little bit more because, well, Dark Horse translated it and brought it over here, and it's a little bit more difficult to get your hands on. I'm sure you can find it on, like, right stuff, but me, I had to find it in the bargain bin of my local bookstore. Now, granted, my bookstore is not some hustling, bustling place, you know, my local Barnes & Noble, but it's still a bookstore nonetheless. You know, you expect it to carry certain things. So having to find this in the bargain bin, yeah, you're probably going to need to go online for this one if you, if you want to get your hands on it. But the book basically centers on the abduction of several children who have disappeared for several years and they come back the same age. And supposedly there's experiments being conducted on them or something of that nature. And since the children have returned, there have been vampires that can actually walk in the daylight which, of course, causes a problem for the villagers, of which the children belong to. Um, so they're basically living in fear. They make up enough money to hire D to solve this problem for them. And they find out that there's been experiments. Some people in the village have been in on it, and they're trying to hide it, and there are science experiments that go wrong and end up attacking people. And It's really an amalgamation of sci-fi tropes and horror tropes and i don't mean that in a bad way like it's if we can fit a werewolf in here sure why not toss a werewolf in there if you can fit a tentacle monster with a venus flytrap head that eats men and rapes women sure throw that in there why not it, it's that sort of deal so when you're reading the book don't take it too seriously because after all a vampire or half-read vampire in a futuristic setting riding a bionic horse with a talking left hand how serious can you really take that it's really toss all the tropes you can in there mix it and then have a somewhat coherent storyline not that the story of the book didn't make sense but at the same time it was trying to be scientific and Kikuchi can do scientific if he's really really trying but this felt like it was an idea that wasn't really expounded or thought about too too much it was like he had a good idea he decided to go with it without second questioning it or finding out how well it would actually work and it worked all right something about humans having light genes and vampires having dark genes that's why vampires can't go out during the day and humans get tired at night and need to sleep is something along those lines and somehow mixing both of them whatever and D has both genes but he can only act on one so either he can be a vampire or he can be a human and book two towards the latter half anyway focuses more on D deciding if he's going to be human or vampire and that's really a overarching theme throughout the whole series. D has his vampiric powers, which he can use to make himself stronger. In fact, he used them in the first film and in the first book to defeat Count Lee. The thing is, every time he uses the vampiric powers, he's more vampire-ish. Not like in Inuyasha where he's like, you become more half-demon or you become more demon or whatever. But it's like he loses part of his humanity, whereas the left hand of the symbiote is basically always taunting D, like, oh, you could do this, oh, you could do that. 
and almost of a what is humanity kind of story. Like you know how in Ghost in the Shell when they have, yeah we're still humans but we're in a prosthetic body. What is human? Is it something that can just think? Or does it actually have to have human flesh and blood? So is it D's body that qualifies him as human? Or that mental resist of his vampiric side? And, you know, that light gene, dark gene thing, you know, it really is kind of a catalyst for that whole idea and character development in D. Even though the character development of D really doesn't change throughout at least these first three novels, he's more or less the same consistent character. And that provides a very nice base and foundation. It's kind of like, once you understand who Lupin Third is, it doesn't matter what special, what TV show, whatever you watch, you can just watch it. You already understand why the character is doing what he does, or you can kind of predict what he's going to do, how he's going to do it, you know what I mean? It gives, it adds this familiar sense to what you're watching. It's rather convenient for a viewer. In the end, we find out that the main female for book two, Lena, is actually a successful experiment in trying to make vampires sort of turn back into humans, basically de-vampirize a vampire. And it does it so well that Lena doesn't even know that she's part of the experiment, that she was actually a vampire, basically. It's kind of like an M. Night Shyamalan ending. It's like, oh, really? You know, but yeah, it, the book wasn't that great. I mean, I got it for $4. Is it worth the $4? Yeah. Would I pay full price? Definitely no. <laughs> Definitely not. But the crown jewel in all this is definitely Bloodlust. Oh my lord, it is a beautifully, beautifully animated film. Absolutely gorgeous to look at. And the story is a tad bit more coherent. Doing a little bit of research, trying to find the differences between the movie and the book. There are some actually major differences, such as, one, there's a lot more rape in the book. Yeah, we kind of could assume that. But mainly, Count Elizabeth, uh, I always mispronounce her name, Barthory or something of that nature, Barthory, not in the book at all. And the book is actually, despite being directed by Kawajiri, the book is a lot darker than its film counterpart being so that the spaceship that Meyer Link and Charlotte are going to take off into doesn't work in the book. Meyer Link ends up being killed and Charlotte, who is actually a nameless girl in the book, commits suicide by stabbing Meyer Link's claws through her heart or something of that nature. Now, that makes me want to go read the book because the movie was really, really good. Action, action-packed. There were some kind of cool bad guys, in particular the one that could melt into shadows and could stab people in the shadow, which would then transfer into a physical wound. That was kind of neat. I mean, it's not exactly the most original idea, but it's still kind of fun to watch how people deal with that. D was a little less prominent in this film, but that's okay because the source material didn't have him as active either. My only regret for the film is that they tried to do the spaceship thing. I'm sorry, vampires in space. It's just, it reminds me of so many horrible movies, in particular Vampire Wars, Christ. Holy moly, like that is just not what I want to see in a Vampire Hunter D movie. Just so long as space is off limits, I don't care what else they do. Yeah, they brought in space and I was kind of like, really, space? The love between the main female character in the third book versus D, she's clearly in love with him. D has a slight affection towards her, I suppose you could say. I didn't read the book, this is just secondhand for me. But what I've heard is he's basically, he cares enough to keep her alive, but not enough like he want to slip his dick into her. Not like Doris. Doris so far and out of these three has been the only one that D is really interested into. Yeah, just like practically every other woman, they're all wet for the beautiful vampire hunter. And that's literally how he's described, he's beautiful. 
you know, take what you will. But I mean, with the art, the way it's done, not just in the anime, but in the book, the actual novelization illustrations, those are really, really well done. The art is done by Yoshitaka Amano, who also did, if I'm not mistaken, some of the art for a couple Final Fantasy games. And I really like his style. It's really just ink. Not a lot of color. It's black and white and uses ink for all his shading and his depth and all that sort of thing. And I like it. It really gives a nice visualization for what is happening in the novel. When you read about D fighting a werewolf or fighting a genetic mutant or something, you can picture it in your mind. But the art really brings it to life. It's, all, it's basically the equivalent of an anime. Almost. I mean, yes, it's one picture. You get like five illustrations per novel or something of that nature. But it is 100% necessary to that book. You take those out, you're missing quite a bit of the experience. The anime did a very, very good job in adapting it, with the exception of it changed some things, but more or less remained faithful to the book. I guess you could say it doesn't really matter if Meyer Link dies or not, since they disappear anyway, they go off into space at the end of the movie. But I don't know. I guess for me, this movie wasn't as dark and thus was much more accessible. However, I did not really care much for the female countess or what have you. I thought her character was really just thrown in there. In fact, it really was and didn't fit very well at all. The werewolf dude, the werewolf bodyguard, I felt he needed to be flushed out a little bit more. He didn't get a whole lot of screen time. Like, the shadow guy got quite a bit of screen time. The female, she's a damp fear in the book, or so I'm told. But in the movie, she, like, is absorption man. She becomes whatever thing she can touch. And she even gets more screen time than the werewolf guy. And, you know, werewolf guys can be cool. So, why not? I mean, he, there's one scene where he's threatened, like, oh, we got bombs all on the bridge, so don't move or we'll blow you up. And he uses, like, his special seeing heat vision or something to see, like, where all the bombs are placed somehow. I mean, if you use, you could definitely use that as a really sweet gimmick in the fight against D or in a fight in general. I just feel like there could have been a lot more done with his character that wasn't. So I'm disappointed with that. But the movie visually is a must-see. It's a Kawajiri film, so if you're a mature audience, and I don't mean mature as in you must be this age, I mean I have no problem with letting a 15-year-old or even a mature 13-year-old watching this. It's because the blood and gore isn't all that bad. There's very, very little nudity, if any. You know, that's the only offenders, and everything else isn't really notable. Now, at the same time, it still maintains that dark atmosphere, so I would say you do have to be mature to appreciate it and to understand it. Otherwise, you're just going to watch this like a lot of people watch Samurai Champloo. Oh my goodness, it's beautiful, the fights are cool, I like the show, and never paid attention to anything else. Speaking of which, I should probably review that sometime soon. But anyway, more or less what I'm saying, people who aren't thinking about it will completely overlook everything in the movie. There's actually a very nice little love story in there. In the beginning of the film, you find out that the nameless girl, or Charlotte in the film, is abducted by Meyer Link, the vampire. Well, in the book, she actually runs away. And they have this relationship that's not using any vampire hypnosis or any trickery or mind games or anything. It's just a really sincere love that they share for each other. But because he's a vampire, he kind of wants to bite her. And she doesn't... It, it, I mean, I don't want to make this sound like Twilight because, like, Christ, that's not what this is. But at the same time, she wants to be herself, he wants to be himself they still want to be with each other. He realizes that she's going to die. She realizes it. But they still want to be together sort of thing. So it, it goes to show you that even though the nobility are really blamed as being the bad guys in these novels, they still are 
human to an extent. You know what I'm saying? And that that's where more of this humanity plays in, especially with Meyer Link's character. And in, in, in some ways, he's a lot more human than D ever was or is in these books. I would like to continue to read these. And there's been rumor back in January that there's going to be a Vampire Hunter D TV series. I would like to see more films because, I mean, crud, there's 20 some odd novels, right? So hop on it, guys. There's plenty of material. These are definitely good watching. All of these properties are licensed. So I can't toss up torrent links for you. I'm sorry. I can probably toss up like here, buy it here or something of that nature. I got lucky and I found the special edition Urban Vision release of the first film just sitting in a blockbuster, shrink-wrapped, untouched, it was like for 30 bucks. And I back then I was like hungry for anime. And I said, okay, the cover looks interesting enough. I can tell this is going to be way beyond my maturity level. And isn't that how most of us get into things that we love? We watch them when we're not supposed to. <laughs> but yeah, everyone else was out on a walk or something. I, I walked across the street, bought it, shoved it in my backpack or something, and, and kept it until I got a chance to watch it. It was definitely a challenge for me. It's still a challenge for me today. I really don't like that film. But I'm glad that I picked it up because it made me pick up the novels and in turn made me watch Bloodlust. So it's worth its weight in gold at this point. 30 bucks well spent. Thank you very much. <laughs> so other than that, let's go on to what have I been reading and watching. In a world where vivid flashbacks can strike without warning. In a world where a submissive adolescent must pilot a giant humanoid robot to save humanity. In the same world where a two-legged quadruped can run leisurely at the speed of sound with the aid of jewelry. Only one podcast can discuss this with their sanity intact. And this is not that podcast. www.ssapodcast.com The Ass Backwards Anime Podcast. Oh wait, I was supposed to use that voice in the beginning. Uh, let's go again. Otaku USA Magazine proudly presents a new podcast. Fresh in Calibre, soaked in 31 different flavors of wind. Wow, raspberry wind! And fired from a maser cannon of pure love. I can feel This podcast will seek to deliver to you what many of its valiant readers have asked of us many times before. Bearing that in mind, what does this show actually contain, you ask? Why, the news, of course. But much, much better. <clears throat> Let me explain. Friday Ace, the podcast edition, is your chance to catch up on all the happenings in Japanese pop culture from this past week, including news recaps, music rankings, and all those interesting tidbits you would have known about had you not given into that burning urge to have a life. Download new episodes every Friday exclusively from otakuusamagazine.com. I know who the killer is! But, I've gathered everyone together, but I still can't figure it out! How did you solve the crime by just looking at one anime merchandise website? Elementary, my dear Hisui. You see, we thought that hug pillows were the motive, but they were the means! Akika, you are the killer of anime! The Reverse Thieves and Anime 3000 present the Speakeasy Podcast, uncovering the mysteries of anime and manga. Come visit us at thespeakeasypodcast.com.
what have I been reading and watching this week? Well, I've been watching my review materials. Almost done with Catcher and Sins, so expect a review from that pretty soon. Also been watching Dragonaut and Bandred. Haven't gotten to Tower of Uruk yet because I figured three series is more than enough to keep me occupied. But I'm chugging away at that, my review materials, and so expect reviews from that sooner or later. Mainly, I've just been watching a lot of horror stuff. If it's not been the typical anime watching here and there. Like, I mean, I've been watching the fall season, and I should, I should talk about that a little bit. Fall season, what have I seen? I saw Squid Girl recently, and I wasn't too impressed. Usually I go onto a and for the fall preview guide, and I see like what everybody says about everything and they gave really negative reviews for Panting and Stocking. I liked it. So I found like the one dude who gave Panting and Stocking a 4 and I said okay I, I reflect that view and I started watching some other stuff and, and I see yeah okay my, my opinion kind of reflects his opinion here so I'm gonna stick with him for my my fall preview guide. But anyway this guy gives Squid Girl a 4 it's like oh it's really really funny. I didn't think it was that funny it felt too it was trying to be funny, but actually really wasn't. I don't know. Just, maybe I was just having a rough day or something. I just was not in the mood to laugh, because it just really was not funny. So, yeah, Squid Girl, not watching that one. Panting and Stalking. You know, I've already talked about that. Let's finish that up. Panting and Stalking, I like. I like Panting and Stalking a lot. It reminds me a little bit of those cartoons you got in the early 2000s. People were saying, oh my goodness, it's, it's just talking about sex and crap and it's potty jokes and blah blah blah. That was just one episode with a shit monster. Guys, come on, watch another episode. I have not seen episode 2 yet, but I have a feeling it's not going to carry the same trend. I mean, it, yeah, it may have a lot of jokes for that half episode because Panting and Stalking is kind of split into two separate parts, two separate episodes within a single 30 minute block. Even so, it doesn't need to be sophisticated humor. You know what I mean? Just as long as it makes you laugh, the action is fast enough for me. There was a very... The only way to describe it, this is a very nice transformation sequence. It was actually quite sexy. Uh, Gynex doing the typical Gynex stuff. Decide to draw the actual... How do I want to put it? They, like, cha they completely changed the character designs and made the girls look really, really hot. <laughs> so uh, I could definitely say I'm a panty. I'm a panty man. Stocking, you know, not bad, but definitely, definitely a panty man. Uh, other than that, it it's a good show. I like it. I wouldn't like watch it religiously, but if I have some time to kill, like, oh, I got to go to work. I don't want to do anything. I got 20 minutes. Okay, pop, panty and stocking in, whatever. It's pretty good. I like it. I saw Super Robot Wars, OG the Inspector or whatnot. That show's okay. It's okay at best. It's very, very mediocre. I was, and I said on the bonus round, all I want is a very pretty show with robot battles. I got robot battles. It just didn't look so pretty. I like independent mech shows. And this is, a, is to some extent an independent mech show. I mean, it's got the name of video game in the title. I mean, it's based off a video game franchise, but the video game is based off a bunch of anime. I, it feels like a cheap cash-in, really. Like, you know, Star Wars, Star Trek novels. You either get something really, really good because someone knows how to write and they're writing and they increase the mythos, they expand it, or else you get, like, some amateur dude just cashing in on the series so he can make his two cents for the week. That's the feel of OG the Inspector. It's really not that great. The storyline is really bleh, So whatever. I mean, I'll talk about it more in Mech Month, but I'm not sticking with it for this se uh, for this season. And then there's Star Driver. CJ Hitchcock and I have been going back and forth. We had a couple emails, a, a little Skype conversation. We haven't really gotten to sit down and talk about Star Driver. And I'm sure if he's listening to this right now, he's just going to sigh. He's rolling his eyes. And now he's giggling a little bit because, well, I mentioned him on my podcast. But... I'm going to state my argument because this is my show. It's easy to argue with someone when only you get to speak. So, to begin, in the season, the first required watching, I should, I should mention, the, week, the second week of season impressions, the video is up on Anime 3000. It's also up on his blog. Go and check that out and then come back and listen to this. Okay, now you watched it? Good. Now we can talk. So basically... 
he said that Star Driver was like a mix. And I'm gonna try and remember all the series. I think there was four different ones. I only remember like three. It was a mixture of Gurren Lagann, Magical Girl Utena, and Oran High School. I forget the fourth one, and that's probably the most important one. But looking at the cast, the writer and the director, the writer and the director both worked on Oran High and Magical Girl Utena. So, yeah, that makes sense. Just from a director's standpoint, if you directed a series this way and this way, and now you're directing another series, yes, it's going to have the same. It's like a Satoshi Kon. Satoshi Kon Kawajiri, they have a feel to their works. They're very much in this certain amount of space. And is that a bad thing? No, because you kind of, to a certain extent, know what to expect, so you're not always guessing. Uh, Hosoda has a very, very distinct feel to him. You know, directors typically have a certain directorial feel. And writers, very much the same way. So, when you look at two of these series, were done by the same writer and director, yes, it's going to have a very, very similar feel. Now, the writer also worked on Gunbuster 2, or Die Buster, Aim for the Top, and that is kind of the Gurren Lagann before Gurren Lagann, or at least, that's kind of my opinion of it. It's not, like, 100% a ripoff, but it definitely has elements of all these three shows. I will not deny that, but instead of looking at it as, oh my goodness, we're ripping ourselves off, I'm looking at it as more of, it's just evolution, really. Like, you took the robot from Die Buster 2, and you took the, oh yes, Furikuri was in the mix as well. Uh, Furikuri, the writer for all these shows, also worked on Furikuri. So, if the writer takes that Furikuri feel, mixes it with the robot from Die Buster, then adds Oran Hai and Utena in the mix, you get Star Driver. Pretty close, that, you know, it's a, it's not a spot-on description of the show. It's kind of, that's what's in the pot, if you will. So yes, I agree with CJ as in, there are several different shows all mixed in to create this show, but if, if we looked at a bunch of anime, couldn't we say the same thing? Like, Dragon Ball. That was just a spoof on a bunch of different stuff, so sure, it had a bunch of different martial arts, you know, you, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Gurren Lagann, for, for crying out loud, is nothing original. There's almost nothing original about Gurren Lagann. It's still an amazing show. It's a good show. I liked it. I mean, it was based off Get a Robo, for one, was cited as being a, a very big influence, and like, drills, come on, freaking drills have been in almost every mecha series known to man with the exception of some real robot stuff. But even then, I mean, almost every robot mecha show has had a mech or machine of some sort that fights with drills. It's nothing new. It's It's been in, like, since Get A Robo, actually. If I, if I remember correctly, Get A Robo was, it was the first Gatai, but Getter 2 used drills. So think of it that way. I'm just saying, CJ, man, I respect your opinion, and it's correct to the point that, yes, it's a mixture, but one, the mixture doesn't make it bad, two, it doesn't make it lazy, I call it evolution, I like the show. Now, I'm not saying you have to like the show, I'm not saying that to anybody, I'm just saying Star Driver, it's a good show, it's an original mech show, it's not based off any pre-existing manga games or anything, so, damn, we need to support this, man, when was the last time we had a really, really good mecha show? You know what I mean? I'm not sure if this can even really count as mecha at this point because you, you go by the certain rules. Star Driver doesn't have a G in its name. The main mech is not the title of the show or the title of the show does not carry the name of the main mech. So, you know, you follow both the rules and it doesn't really abide by them. So maybe this isn't a mech show at all. Maybe I'm completely 100% wrong, but... We'll see, we'll see. We only have episode 2 out so far. That's enough about Star Driver, though. Um, I do have yet to see one more show I'm interested in this season, and that would be the one, the comedy, the Shaft comedy, but that's about maids. I'm interested in seeing that, because I heard it was really, really funny. Of course, Shaft has the same director for practically every goddamn thing they release that's comedy-related. I kind of like his, his feel, you know, that sort of thing. We'll, we'll see how it works out. But other than that, I've been watching a lot a lot of horror films. 
well, maybe I shouldn't say a lot, a, a, a good handful of horror films, J-horror films in particular, I was watching Premonition last night, and not that it's a bad movie, I just got halfway through and I felt like the story had moved very little. 45 minutes in, or 50 minutes in, of an hour and a half movie, I expect to have the full storyline in swing. So that way I can start getting scared and crap. This feels like it's doing a lot of this melodical drama. You know what I mean? It Like, the original American Ring movie, I don't consider a horror film. I think it's a, a drama, honestly, more than anything else. There wasn't anything scary in the movie. I mean, maybe that one scene where Sadako pops out the TV you can consider scary. I certainly didn't. But, yeah. I would definitely say it was a drama. And Premonition, I would definitely say, is a drama. I mean, not to spoil the whole entire film, but this guy's little girl dies, and because of it, he ends up getting divorced with his wife and lives a miserable life, and then becomes the target of a curse and all that stuff, and his wife and him are trying to work together at the same time. You know, it, it just it seems a lot like a drama more than it does a horror, and that's not bad. It's just when you expect to watch a horror film, you expect to watch a horror film. So I didn't finish it yet, and oh my goodness, I hate doing this, but a horror film I believe you have to watch from beginning to end in one sitting, so you really get the mood, and it keeps going. But I was just so tired, the thing was putting me to sleep. I stopped halfway through, I'm going to have to rewatch some of it to finish the film to get the mood back sort of thing, but we'll see how it works out. Maybe it gets really scary in that last half, I don't know. I also watched... Infection, which was a very, very good horror film. I recommend it to anybody who likes horror films. It wasn't so much scary as, like, the first time I watched Juon. Juon, the very first movie when I watched it, I was scared, I'll admit. It was it was a scary movie. Not that I shit myself or anything, but Infection kind of rekindled a little bit of that. Like, I'm expecting to see ghosts and everything. No, not really. Uh, Infection is is more of an eerie mood generator machine than it is a horror film. And I know that sounds completely insane, but let me explain. The whole movie has this very dark and dingy feel because they're in a hospital that looks more like a prison. Everybody's sick. It's just not the place you want to be. The characters are describing how desperate it, and, and they do things, very little things like that you see patients getting maltreatment from the doctors, malpractice rather. One nurse is really scared about injecting this guy with a needle or you know inserting it into his arm, and every time she does it, she she like pulls out, and you see this guy's arm. It's like oh, print and picked, and that sort of thing. You know, looking at that, it's just enough to go ugh. Because can you imagine getting your arm stabbed like that? Oh my gosh, it's stuff like that, and then little things. Like, they try and open the windows, and the windows are caught. It really gives this feeling of this hospital needs to be torn down. But they can't, because if it's torn down, for, you know, if they lose their jobs for the wrong reason, they'll never be hired at another place again. And it's not that the doctors suck. It's just some of the nurses, this particular one nurse, I should say, never really finished her education. So she's got, like, a certain amount of knowledge, but little to no experience. So she's freaking scared. She's in this situation where they're running out of supplies, where they can't really reorder it because they're already short-staffed. They're short-staffed because they don't have enough money. Well, they don't have enough money to even freaking pay the guys who are working there. But the guys who are working there can't stop working because they need the money. Well, they can't stop working also because the patients are there. And if the patients die, they get a bad reputation, thus lose their jobs. It's this very vicious, cannibalistic cycle where basically nobody wins and everybody loses and the movie goes on and on it really gives you that feeling of hopelessness and then on top of it there's an infection blah blah, blah. I won't spoil the movie because it's really really good but I suggest just sitting down one evening and watching it and just really bask in it not that you can't analyze the movie I think you'll you'll actually have quite a bit to analyze with this film because it does a lot of psychological stuff as well. But even if you just sit and bask in it, you'll definitely get something out of it. This is a good movie. This is a very, very good movie, and I'm just happy that my favorite character 
was the last one alive. <laughs> so, you know, in the beginning of a horror movie, especially American horror movies, I always, like slasher films, I always get, like, I pick one dude and I stick with that dude or character or whoever and say, yeah, this is going to be the person who's going to live the longest or whatever. And you got to do it within the first five minutes of the film or else you're almost cheating, basically. But yeah, but that's a really, really, really good movie. I plan on watching some other horror films. Uh, I want to watch the Japanese Ring. I only saw the American version, so I'm going to watch Ringu, see how good it is. I don't know. I'm kind of iffy. I mean, yes, I know American adaptations really tend to bastardize things, but I'm not too hopeful. Because, I mean, don't get me wrong, The Ring wasn't a bad movie, it just wasn't a horror movie. And I'm like, well, how much of a horror movie can this be, even with its bastardization? It, regardless, I should probably watch it, because I'm really into J-horror, and I should at least kind of like the grandfather, the granddaddy, the stepdaddy for most of this J-horror stuff. But other than that, that's really all I've been reading and watching. Yeah, Horror Month, you know, two more episodes, it's coming to a close. Before I do leave you guys, though, I want to ask some, a, a couple quick questions. The main question I've been thinking of is, should I go back to numbering my episodes traditionally? Like, I know halfway through the first season or whatever, I kind of have to call it at this point. I got lazy. Instead of going back and counting all the episodes, uh, I decided just to go, oh, season two, and start renumbering them. Well... Including this episode that I'm recording right now. This is episode 44. I'm not even sure where I should have a break with my second season. I kind of just... I'm like episode, what, 24, 25 or something like that? So, yeah, I think the second season is more than done. I just haven't said, oh, season 3 or whatever. So I think I'll probably end up going back to numbering them linearly, I guess would be the way to describe it. Maybe I should just make a third season. I don't know kind of difficult at this point. I, I think I'll probably go back to numbering them linearly. It's much easier that way. But let me know. Shoot me a line. Drop a comment on Anime3000.com. Drop a comment on my blog at animationpodcast.blogspot.com. Find me on iTunes under Animation Podcast. You can give me a, a line. My email is in every post. So just click that. Send me a line. Everything else, make sure, you know, you give feedback. If you want to send an MP3 and I'll see if I can play it on the show or something, you know, give me promos. Guys, if you have promos for your podcast, give it to me. I'll do a swap. I love doing this cross-promotion thing. Give me a swap. If you have any cool news bits or something, send those to me. Basically, if you want to add something to the show, you want to be on the show, let me know. I got Mech Month coming up. I just secured a position. I have Mr. Doctor from the SSA podcast coming on for Mech Month. We're going to be talking about Jeek, Steel Jeek. So that's going to be interesting. I have yet to watch that show. I've always wanted to see it. I finally got my hands on it. I'm going to be watching it. We're going to be talking about it. Manly robots with two manly men. Yeah. Suck it. I have some other guys I want to get on the show. Haven't talked to them yet. Going to work with that. So far, working on the stuff. I have to get done already. I mean, frick, I have Battle of the Coma I gotta get done. I did a Devilman kind of synopsis overview, what started it, where it's going, what it kind of spawned and created in terms of the anime industry, the cultural effects it had. And I sent that into anime3000.com. I don't know when that's going to be up. It probably should be up sometime soon with the bonus round. So look for that. But anyway, subscribe to me on iTunes and all that because I'm sure you love hearing my voice. You listen to me now, and we're on episode 44, baby. Episode 44, listening to my voice. I love you all. So, thank you very much for listening, downloading the podcast, feedback, any, send it. And, I guess, until next time, I am Ghost.